Welcome to the Chinese Lore Podcast, where I retell classic Chinese stories in English. This is episode 55 of Investiture of the Gods. Last time, Jiang Ziya was having some trouble with a body-ripping cannibal of a Taoist named Ma Yuan. But then, a Buddhist immortal showed up and took Ma Yuan away to the west and out of our narrative. So, Jiang Ziya, Pure Essence, Merciful Navigation, and Wen Shu then devised a plan to deal with the remaining threat, Pure Essence's prodigal disciple Yin Hong. The plan started with Jiang Ziya engaging Yin Hong in battle and then running off to the south, luring Yin Hong and his officers into giving chase. Standing to the south and watching this plan unfold, Pure Essence shed a tear and sighed. Oh, you scoundrel, you brought today's fate upon yourself. Don't blame me after your death. As he spoke, he unfurled a magic map. It stretched out before him and turned into a golden bridge. Jiang Ziya directed his four not like onto the bridge. When Yin Hong arrived at the foot of the bridge, Jiang Ziya stood atop it and taunted him. Do you dare to come up and fight me on this bridge? Yin Hong scoffed. Even if my master were here, I would not be afraid, so how can I be afraid of your puny powers? Here I come! As he spoke, he spurred on his horse and galloped onto the bridge. But as soon as he got on the bridge, Yin Hong started to feel confused as his mind became filled with fantasies and images of all kinds. Could there be an ambush? He thought to himself. And just then, sure enough, he saw an army charging toward him. He fought them for a bit, and then they suddenly disappeared. He now resumed looking around for Jiang Ziya, and just like that, Jiang Ziya appeared and they traded blows. But then suddenly, he started thinking about the Shang capital and seeing his father, King Zhou, once more. And just like that, he found himself walking through the palace gate and heading to the West Palace where concubine Huang welcomed him. Just as he bowed to her, he suddenly found himself in another part of the palace, face to face with concubine Yang. He called out to her, but she would not answer. While Yin Hong turned and twirled this way and that atop the map as if in a daydream, Pure Essence watched him from above, thinking about the many years they had shared as teacher and pupil, and the teacher could not help but sigh. Back on the map, Yin Hong was stumbling around when he suddenly saw his mother, Queen Jiang, who shouted, Yin Hong, look at me! He raised his head and exclaimed, Mother, are we meeting in the underworld? You wretch! His mother scolded him. You disobeyed your master and decided to help the wicked attack the good. And you also swore that if you broke your promise, your limbs would turn into ashes. Now you have stepped onto the magic map. You are about to suffer the fate that you promised yourself. Save me, mother! Yin Hong shouted. But just then, his mother disappeared. Yin Hong collapsed to the ground, and he suddenly heard someone shout, Yin Hong, do you recognize me? He looked and saw his master, pure essence. Yin Hong wept and said, Master, I am willing to help the Martial King exterminate the Shang. Please save me. It's too late for that, Pure Essence told him. You have already violated the laws of heaven. Who was it that made you break your oath? I listened to Shen Gong Bao and went against your instructions, Yin Hong pleaded. Please exercise mercy and save my life. I would never dare to break my word again. Pure Essence hesitated to do what he must. But just then, Merciful Navigation shouted from the sky, This is heaven's will! We cannot disobey it! Hurry up and send him on his way! With tears in his eyes, Pure Essence gave the map a shake 
and it rolled up, trapping Yin Hong inside. After a while, he shook the map again, and it unfurled once more. As a breeze blew, a pile of ashes, all that remained of Yin Hong and his horse, was swept up and scattered to the winds. Watching his pupil's ashes disappear into the sky, Pure Essence wept aloud. I have killed my own disciple. No one will ever come to study with me again. But Merciful Navigation consoled him. Taoist brother, you are mistaken. Look at Ma Yuan. He was not destined to die, so someone showed up to save him. Yin Hong, however, was destined for this fate. There is no need to lament it. And so, Pure Essence, Merciful Navigation, and Wen Shu went back to see Jiang Ziya. He thanked them for their help, and they took their leave, telling him, On your special day, we will come again to see you off on your eastern expedition. Meanwhile, in the Shang camp, the commander Su Hu got word from scouts that Yin Hong had vanished with a golden streak of light while chasing Jiang Ziya. He sent his general Zheng Lun and Yin Hong's two remaining officers out to look around, but they couldn't find the prince either. That night, Su Hu huddled with his son and said, I am going to write a letter of surrender. You tie it to an arrow and shoot it into the city to tell Prime Minister Jiang to raid our camp tomorrow. You and I will then hustle our family into Western Qi. As for Zheng Lun and the rest, no matter whether they want to go or not, we will capture them all and let Prime Minister Jiang deal with them. We must not delay any more. His son agreed, and so that night, an arrow flew into Western Qi, and its attachment soon arrived on Jiang Ziya's desk. Jiang Ziya unrolled the letter and read it. It said, Su Hu, the Marquis of Jizhou and commander of the Western Campaign, pays his respects to Prime Minister Jiang. Even though I was tasked with leading this campaign, I have long wanted to join the Zhou. When my army arrived here, I had intended to submit quickly so that I may serve you. Who knew that heaven would stand in my way, sending Yin Hong, Ma Yuan, and the like to interfere? But now they are all dead. Only Zheng Lun remains obstinate in disobeying heaven's will. My son and I were thinking that without your heavenly troops coming to our aid, we cannot root out our enemies. So I am writing to ask that you mobilize your army and raid our camp tomorrow night. My son and I will use that opportunity to apprehend anyone who resists. I hope we can submit to the Sage Lord soon and wage war on the tyrant so as to wash my family clean of our tainted reputation. Even if my brains and innards were scattered across the ground, I will do my utmost. Jiang Xia was delighted upon reading that letter. The next day, he ordered Flying Tiger and his four sons to lead the vanguard of the raiding party, while Deng Jiugong, the last guy who defected, would attack the left camp, and the general Nan Gongkuo would attack the right, with Ne Jia bringing backup. In the Shang camp, Zheng Lun and the other two officers went to see Su Hu and said, With the prince falling to the enemy, we must send word to the capital and ask the king to send reinforcements. Yes, I will handle it tomorrow, Su Hu said. But of course, his mind was focused on tonight. As dusk descended, three armies snuck out of Western Qi and quietly made their way over to the enemy's camp. 
Around 9pm, an explosive sounded, and Flying Tiger and his sons charged into the Shang camp, demolishing everyone in their way. Deng Jiugong and Nan Gong Kuo, meanwhile, poured into the left and right flanks of the camp. Zheng Wen quickly got on his horse and rushed to the camp gate. There, he ran smack dab into Flying Tiger and his sons and engaged in a dogged fight. Meanwhile, in the left side of the camp, Deng Jiugong faced off against the outlaw-turned-officer, Liu Fu, while in the right camp, Nan Gong Kuo took on the other officer, Gou Zhang. At the same time, Western Qi's gates flew open, and a huge army charged out to provide backup. As chaos reigned, Su Hu and his son escorted their family into Western Qi. Amid the fighting, Deng Jiugong cut down his foe, Liu Fu, while Nan Gong Kuo sent Gou Zhang fleeing before Gou Zhang was skewered by one of Flying Tiger's sons. As the Shang forces scattered, Zheng Lun found himself all alone, fending off a crowd of Zhou officers. Suddenly, Deng Jiugong charged in and disarmed Zheng Lun, and then yanked him off his saddle and tossed him to the ground, whereupon soldiers tied him up. When dawn came, the Zhou officers reported back to Jiang Xia in total triumph having captured Zheng Lun and slain the other two Shang officers. Su Hu and his son then came in and paid their respects. Jiang Xia said, Please get up. Your great virtue and compassion are known across the land. You are not a man tied by petty notions of loyalty. You recognize the tenor of the times and have abandoned the darkness for the light. You gauge the tides of fortune and have elected to serve a sage lord. You have given up your position in order to cleanse your reputation. You are a true hero, and I admire you greatly. Su Hu and his son replied, We have offended you much. We are ashamed and touched by your generosity in giving us a new life. Next, it was time to deal with Zheng Lun. Soldiers hustled him into the hall, where he refused to kneel and simply glowered in silence, looking as though he wished he could swallow Su Hu. Jiang Xia said, Zheng Lun, what skills do you have that you would dare to resist us at every turn? Now that you have been captured, instead of kneeling and begging for your life, you are acting disrespectfully. Zheng Lun roared, You ignoramus! We are enemies, and I wish I could apprehend all you rebels and take you back to the capital to face the punishment of the law. Unfortunately, my commander conspired with you, and I ended up as your prisoner. Death is my only option. No need for more words. Jiang Xia was like, okay, have it your way. And he ordered the guards to take Zheng Lun outside for execution. While Zheng Lun was escorted out, Su Hu kneeled and said to Jiang Xia, Prime Minister, Zheng Lun does deserve to be punished for going against heaven, but he really is a loyal and honorable man, and one that can be of use. He possesses abilities that are hard to find. I hope you can overlook his offense, take pity on him, and keep him in your service, the way the ancients turned enemies into allies. Please consider it. Jiang Xia helped Su Hu to his feet and smiled. I know General Zheng is a loyal and honorable man that can be of service. I was just trying to get him riled up so that you would defend him and sing his praises for all to hear. Since you have done so, how would I dare to not follow? Su Hu was elated, and he went outside to see Zheng Lun. But Zheng Lun was not exactly in the mood to see Su Hu, as he looked down and did not say a word. General Zheng, why do you insist on this misguided, obstinate path? Su Hu said. As the saying goes, those who recognize the tenor of the times are hailed as heroes. 
Right now, the king is tyrannical, incurring the wrath of heaven and the people. The land is fractured, and civilians are suffering as war rages nonstop. Everyone in the land is thinking about rebellion. This demonstrates heaven's intent to end the Shang. The Zhou acts with virtue and compassion, courts talent, and brings peace and prosperity to the people. Two-thirds of the realm already belongs to the Zhou. Heaven's will is plain to see. Jiang Xia will lead an expedition east before long to bring the tyrant to justice. Who can stop that? General, turn back now. I have already pleaded your case with Prime Minister Jiang, and he will accept your surrender. Act as the situation requires, like a gentleman does. Otherwise, you would die a pointless death. Zheng Lun, however, only let out a long sigh and remained silent. Su Hu continued to plead. General Zheng, I'm begging you. You have the talent of a top commander. Don't die in vain. You said that a loyal official does not serve two lords. But does that mean all the nobles who are submitting to the Zhou are disloyal? Does that mean Flying Tiger and Deng Jiugong aren't loyal? No, it means the king has lost his way and is no longer fit to be the father of the people. Instead, he torments them as a tyrant. The chaos in the land today stems from King Zhou's own actions. As the old saying goes, Good birds choose their perch, and good vassals choose their lord. Think it through. Can you not see that all the men that the king has sent against Western Qi, no matter how powerful they were, have come to nothing? This is not something one person can change. Besides, Jiang Xia has so much talent in his service, he cannot be easily defeated. Stop fooling yourself. Listen to me. You have a boundless future ahead of you. Don't throw it away for some petty notion of loyalty. Those sincere words finally convinced Zheng Lun. He sighed and said, If not for your words, I would have made a big mistake. But I have offended Jiang Xia numerous times. I worry that his officers cannot tolerate me. No, Jiang Xia has a heart as big as the ocean, so how can he not tolerate a stream, Su Hu said and his men are all just and fair, so there's nothing to worry about. Don't get the wrong idea. I will inform the prime minister. So Su Hu rushed back inside and said, I have convinced Zheng Lun to surrender, but he is worried that your men would not tolerate him because of his past transgressions. Jiang Xia laughed and replied, We were enemies and were each serving our own lords. Now that he is willing to surrender, we shall be one family. There is nothing to worry about. He then ordered the guards to release Zheng Lun and give him a fresh set of clothes. Momentarily, Zheng Lun tidied up his outfit, came in, and kneeled, declaring, I didn't know any better and opposed heaven, causing your eminence to labor. Now I have been captured, and yet you have spared my life. I will never forget such virtue and kindness. Jiang Xia hurriedly helped him up and said, General, I have long admired your loyalty and honor. It's just that King Zhou's tyrannical ways are bringing about his own end. This is not a case of you abandoning your country. My lord treats talented men with respect. You should serve our state without concern or suspicion. Zheng Lun bowed time and again to thank him. Jiang Xia then took Su Hu and company to court and introduced them to the martial king Ji Fa. Ji Fa greeted them enthusiastically and ordered Jiang Xia to throw a feast to welcome them. And so, the Zhou celebrated yet another addition to its forces. 
Word of this latest defection soon arrived at Sishui Pass on the border of the Shang and the Zhou. The commander of the pass, Han Rong, was stunned. Though at this point, I have to think it's a surprise-not-surprise surprise kind of situation for him, and he once again sent the bad news on to the capital. The report landed on the desk of a minister, who read it and started to curse Su Hu aloud. Oh scoundrel! Your whole family has benefited from the king's favor. Instead of repaying him, you have rebelled. You are worse than a dog! This minister now rushed to the star-picking tower and told King Zhou. A report arrived from Commander Han Rong at Sishui Pass. Marquis Su Hu, whose whole family has enjoyed your favor by marriage, has defected to the rebels instead of repaying the country. He has betrayed your kindness. Where is the law? Here is the report. I dare not make decisions on my own. Please, give me instructions. King Zhou read the report and was greatly alarmed. Su Hu was my confidant, my relative, he said. How can he defect to the Zhou? This is despicable. You may go, and I will take care of this. Once the minister left, King Zhou summoned his queen and Su Hu's daughter, Da Ji. Now Da Ji had already heard what was happening from behind the screen, so when she was summoned, she came out, kneeled, wept, and said softly, I have received so much kindness from your majesty that I cannot repay it, even if my bones were ground to dust. I don't know who misled my father and convinced him to surrender to the rebels. This is a grave offense, and the entire clan should be punished, without exceptions. I ask that your majesty execute me and hang my head from the city wall, so that all the officials and civilians will know that you are a wise and just ruler who governs according to the law and plays no favorites. This will be my way of repaying you for elevating me. When she finished speaking, Da Ji leaned up against the king's leg and wept bitterly. Seeing his beloved's face covered with tears that looked like pear blossoms and weeping in a voice that resembled the chirping of songbirds, King Zhou couldn't help but be touched. He helped Da Ji to her feet and said, My wife, your father may have rebelled, but you have been in the inner palace, so what could you have known about it? What offense could you have committed? Please get up and get a hold of yourself. Even if I were to lose my entire kingdom, it would not be your fault. Please take care of yourself. The next day, King Zhou went to court and assembled his officials. He told them, Su Hu betrayed me and defected to the Zhou. This is truly intolerable. Who will go lead a campaign to apprehend him and the other rebels so that I may bring them all to justice? A minister now stepped forth and said, Jiang Ziya is wily and knows how to use talent. That's why everyone we have sent has met with defeat, bringing shame upon your majesty. If we don't choose the next commander wisely to bring them to justice, then all the nobles of the land will follow their example. I recommend Marshal Zhang Shan. He is a veteran commander and is careful and thoughtful, worthy of your trust. He will not disappoint your highness. So King Zhou dispatched an envoy to Three Peaks Pass, where Zhang Shan was stationed. The envoy arrived after a few days' travel. He was greeted by Zhang Shan and his staff. The envoy delivered the royal edict, commanding Zhang Shan to lead another campaign against the West. Once the envoy left, Zhang Shan prepared his army. When the general who was sent to take over his watch arrived, Zhang Shan set out with a 100,000 men. They marched amid the gentle warmth of early summer and arrived at the north gate of Western Qi after some time on the road. 
There, they pitched camp, and Zhang Shan huddled with his staff. Two of his officers, Qian Bao and Li Jin, said, An army that has traveled a great distance is fatigued without a fight. You must be decisive. You're quite right, Zhang Shan said. Jiang Xia is a wily strategist and cannot be underestimated. And we have come a long way, so we must fight quickly. Let the men rest tonight, and I will deploy them tomorrow. So what was Jiang Xia and his officers doing when this latest army showed up? Well, they were arguing over colors for their flags. See, Jiang Xia knew that he would soon be put in charge of an expedition against the Shang, so he wanted Flying Tiger to oversee the production of banners for that campaign. And Jiang Xia wanted all the banners to be red, and nothing else. But Flying Tiger said, Banners are seen by the entire army. There are usually five different colors, representing the five parts of the army. That way, soldiers know which way is what when they advance or retreat, and it prevents them from falling into chaos. If all the banners were red, then our soldiers won't know which way is up. How can they advance or retreat in an orderly fashion then? I worry that this won't do. Or is there some secret intricacy here? Please enlighten me. Jiang Xia laughed and said, General, you don't understand. Red is the symbol of fire, and our lord resides in the west. This land belongs to the gold element. Without being tempered by fire, what good is cold gold? That's why we need fire to power the ascendancy of the Zhou. Of course, we will put a small patch of blue, yellow, red, white, or black on the banners so that the army can tell them apart and maintain order. At the same time, it will confuse the enemy and lead to their defeat. As the saying goes, suspicion breeds chaos. Flying Tiger bowed and thanked Jiang Xia for his explanation. Jiang Xia then ordered the construction of weapons. Meanwhile, letters had rolled in from all the nobles of the land requesting that the martial king join forces with them to attack the Shang. Jiang Xia, however, told his staff that he was worried that Ji Fa would refuse to do it out of loyalty to the Shang. While they were discussing that matter, word came that yet another Shang army was camped outside their northern gate, this one led by the marshal Zhang Shan. Jiang Xia asked Deng Jiugong, How is Zhang Shan a commanding troops? He took my place as commander at Three Peaks Pass, Deng Jiugong said. He is just a brute. Just then, word came that the enemy was demanding battle. Deng Jiugong volunteered to answer the call, so he went outside and saw an enemy officer who looked like a chariot of fire as he galloped to the front of the lines, looking quite the imposing warrior. This was the General Qian Bao. General Qian, you go on back and ask Zhang Shan to come out, Deng Jiugong shouted. I have words for him. Qian Bao pointed and cursed. You rebel! What did King Zhou ever do to you? The court made you a commander and bestowed much favor on you. Instead of repaying that kindness, you defected to the rebels. You are worse than a dog. How can you still face the men of the world? Deng Jiugong's face was flushed red, and he cursed back. Qian Bao, you are but an oaf. What skills do you have that you dare to boast like this? How are your abilities compared to Grand Tutor Wen? Even he met his end here. Come get a taste of my saber, so as to spare your troops. And with that, the two of them got down to hacking at each other with their sabers. After 30-some bouts, Qian Bao proved to be no match for Deng Jiugong. With one swing, Deng Jiugong cut him down, and then chopped off his head and brought it back into the city to present to Jiang Xia, who celebrated with a banquet. 
The defeated Shang troops ran back to camp and told Zhang Shan what happened. Zhang Shan was irate. The next day, he personally led his army out and demanded to speak with Deng Jiugong. Deng Jiugong again volunteered to go out, and his daughter Deng Chanyu volunteered to go along to help hold down the lines. Once they lined up, Deng Jiugong rode to the front of the lines and was hit with a barrage of insults from Zhang Shan. Treasonous scoundrel, Zhang Shan cursed. When did the country ever do you wrong that you had to betray your state and defect to the enemy? Even death would be too good for you. And even now, instead of surrendering, you are resisting and killing officers of the court. I am going to apprehend you today and send you to the capital to face your punishment. Deng Jiugong shot back. You may be a commander, and yet you recognize neither the will of heaven nor the desires of men. Your existence is in vain. You may be dressed like a man, but you are nothing but an animal. King Zhou is a debauched, brutal tyrant. All the nobles have abandoned him and joined the Zhou. The will of heaven and men are plain to see. Yet, you insist on defying heaven. You are seeking your own humiliation and destruction. You will throw away your life for nothing, just like Grand Tudor Wen. Listen to me and surrender now. We can attack the tyrant together and put out the fires that are consuming the land. This would be in accordance with heaven and the people, and you will be assured of becoming a noble. But if you persist, you will regret it. Zhang Shan flew into a rage and cursed. You slick-tongued scoundrel! How dare you speak such slander! Even being cut to pieces would not be punishment enough for you! And with that, he charged with spear raised, and Deng Jiugong countered with his saber. To see how their fight will go, tune in to the next episode of the Chinese Lore Podcast. Thanks for listening. 